Another episode of WCM Fireside Chats. It is the first day of February, getting warmer by the day, at least down here, hopefully a little bit in Canada up there for you, Kara and Jamie as well. Uh, but looking forward to the summer when uh, we can all get outside again and enjoy the outdoors. And so uh, we've got a really good uh, topic session for discussion here, kind of our first in a series about agritourism, where we are going to talk about, in this instance today, wineries and how campgrounds uh, interact with them. We've got a uh, couple Jamie's on here. We got maybe one other park owner is going to join us. Uh, Karen, Ben, and and myself have a lot of expertise, uh, just dealing with some campgrounds and talking about things like that. And then we've got Joel Holland, who is the CEO of Harvest House, on here to talk about uh, his product and things like that as well. So, uh, again, my name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Karen Brodigan with the Canadian Camping and RV Council, and uh, Mr. Ben Quiggle, premier <laughs> esteemed editor of the world's largest. Campground printed magazine in the United States uh, is joining us today as well. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, let's have you guys, I guess, introduce yourself. You want to start with, let's start with Jamie. Uh. Hi there. Good morning. Thanks very much for asking me to come on. Uh, my name is Jamie Cox. I manage, I'm the resort manager here in the South Okanagan, the beautiful South Okanagan of British Columbia, the heart of, yes, the known wine capital of Canada. And I manage Gallagher Lake Resort, which is one of the 39 resorts for the Park Ridge family. Park Ridge owns resorts across Canada, here in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec. All right. Well, thank All you right. so much for being here, Jamie. Uh, Joel? Hey, everybody. Um, I'm Joel Holland. I'm the CEO of Harvest Hosts. And we're a membership for our viewers that um, allows our members to visit and park overnight at uh, almost 2,000 wineries, breweries, distilleries, um, and other unique locations all over North America. All right. Yeah, well, and you, and, and Joel, I'd just like to note, you have a pretty impressive liquor cabinet there in the back. What is uh, that in the background there? Yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a mixture. These are a lot of bourbons and scotches. Um, some of them are, are actually from our hosts. Uh, and so it's a, I was looking for some sort of decor and my wife wouldn't allow me to put this anywhere else in the house. So I put it in my office and, and, and it's stuck. I need to get something like that for my background. <laughs> well, you've got to set up your green screen, Ben. Like you keep promising. No, I, wa I want the, I want it for real. Like the liquor right, for real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it fake. I don't, I don't want to be a window behind you. We want baby steps. <laughs> Yes. All right. So what do you got, Ben? You got some good questions for these gentlemen? Well, I mean, uh, I guess, you know, just I think for Joel, it'd be great just to kind of maybe for some of the audience who doesn't know exactly what Harvest Toast is, maybe just explain a little bit about what you guys provide on the for RVers. Sure. Um, yeah. So Harvest Toast, uh, it, it's a I mean, I'll say it's an inexpensive membership for RVers. It's about seventy nine dollars for an entire year. Um, and that gets you um, unlimited access to visit and stay at, um, like I said, almost 2,000 wineries, breweries, distilleries, golf courses, museums, um, and other unique uh, attractions all over um, the United States, Canada, every Canadian province, um, and a little bit of Mexico. And, and kind of the idea of the program is just to give our viewers uh, a unique boondocking experience. And it's just for 24 hours. Um, so it's not, it is not a campground. I mean, it's, it's very important. We, we pointed out we're not a campground. Um, our locations do not provide facilities. There's no, no hookups. Um, you're basically parking in the vines at a really beautiful place. And the reason our membership is so inexpensive uh, is that our members are encouraged to give back um, to the small businesses they visit by purchasing the local products. And so we, we did, we ran some numbers and in 2020, our members spent close to $24 million dollars. Uh, with the small businesses and the wineries that they visited, and and this is really meaningful for you know for a lot of these locations, especially during COVID. Um, when you talk about agritourism, some of our host locations make you know an extra ten to forty thousand dollars a year from our members selling their products, and and that's been really important um, during COVID. But but in general, it just it supports a lot of these great wineries that um, might otherwise not be found. And and the final thing I would say is that we. We sometimes get this question, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more: um, campgrounds versus harvest hosts. We're very we're we're complementary. We don't compete. And I'll use myself as an example. My wife and I are on the road, you know, a few months every year in the RV. We'll spend 
you know, a night at a Harvest House location and then a few nights at a campground to get hookups, right? Get the power and water and sewer we need and then get back on the road, find another Harvest Host and in front of it and behind it, do a real campground. And so what we found is that in locations where a new Harvest Host pops up, the campgrounds around that Harvest Host, uh, business increases dramatically because our members, you know, flock to these new areas that they would not normally have known about. Um, and so it's been it's been good for the campgrounds that, that are around our locations. And we always we play really nicely because I love campgrounds. Like I couldn't I could not be an RVer without campgrounds. So I always want to put that out there. If anything, I always say this: we compete with the Walmart parking lot. I don't think anyone should have to spend the night at a Walmart parking lot <clears throat> when you've got two thousand really cool small businesses you could stay with instead. Yeah, and I I know we wanted to focus on agritourism. Um, today, which we're focusing more on the wineries. Um, I think the goal is to maybe focus on other areas of agritourism and other shows. So we're mainly focused on wineries. That's why Brian has floating grapes in the background of his background there. Um, in the background, I'm sitting in the middle of a wine field. Ben. Yeah, he's in the middle of a wine field. Um, but uh, um, and I, you know, Harvest Host. I mean, you go on the website and you guys have some amazing pictures and videos of what you guys do. And now it's not all just wineries, right? But you guys do, or is it all wineries? No, no, no. It's not just wineries. We have, I think, um, about, and I can pull up the exact numbers. I want to say we have 500 wineries and um a few hundred breweries okay. the exact numbers for you uh here we go 559 wineries 457 farms and so this is uh, these are agritourism farms that farms that sell a product um or as an example around halloween have hay rides and corn mazes and like really cool stuff for families we have 314 attractions and so these include uh, museums caves um like in Kansas, we have an underground salt museum you can go tour. Uh, in Nebraska, we have the world's largest train yard, uh, Golden oh, wow. Spike Tower. So you can see hundreds of thousands of trains connecting and disconnecting. Um, 375 golf courses. You know, and we all know that that's a very scenic, you know, golf courses are scenic. And so our members can park overnight, play around, or support the, the, the golf course by um, eating in the restaurants, uh, which is also great. And then uh, 205 breweries and distilleries. And so that's where a lot of my merchandise behind me comes from. Um, you're probably seeing this in Canada as well, like breweries and distilleries are starting to really pop up. Mm -hmm. So we, yeah, we support them all. If you've got a beautiful place and a business that sells a product, um, we love to send our members your way. Is there a rewards program? Like well, you know, it, it's interesting. It depends. It, each winery has its own situation or, it's, or, or, or distillery. I can tell you, I've joined a lot of wine programs. So I've joined a lot of loyalty programs with the, the um, hosts that I've visited, but each one's different. You know, every every uh, host location is a unique experience. And so we don't have any sort of blanket um, rewards program. Our goal is to really connect our members. Um, and we're now, you know, we're, we're close to 130,000 members. It's to connect them with these locations um, and then let business transpire. Joel, I would like to have a prize for visiting all 559 wineries. Like, I feel like that should be good. Free wine for life, or something like yeah. that. From Harvest Host and rehab, yeah, for sure. There's, um, I was gonna there's say, more like, yeah, <laughs> alcoholics program. Well, if you've got 30, 40 years to do it, I'm not suggesting do it in two years. No, no, it's true. And look, I I take that challenge personally. I try every year to get to as many as I possibly can, and it's a lot of fun because every one is so different. I mean, every owner is very different. Each piece of property is different and every wine. I mean, I've tried things like fruit wines that I, I didn't know existed before this whole thing. Or one of the um, one of the liquors behind me is actually a bourbon. Uh, sorry. Well, it's a bourbon made from beet sugar. So I can't call okay. it bourbon because it doesn't okay. comply with Kentucky standards. But it is a beet sugar and it's delicious. Who would have thought? Huh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just amazing. That's, I mean, some of the locations you were saying is just amazing. So um, definitely worth looking at, I guess, um, Jamie, and what before, do you do? On, sorry. Before we go into Jamie, I just, I want to get to these questions timely. So we've got a question yep. here uh, oh, from TJ Johnson that says, hi, I've been approached by Harvest Hosts a few times. Two things I have concerns about is mitigating the risk of boondoctors not purchasing products and if Harvest Hosts offer liability coverage. So Joel, do you want to take that before we move on to Jamie? Yes, yes. So um, 
when when people join our program, you know, and this is not a perfect science, but we make it very, very clear in the application process, here's how the program works. Like the reason you're able to stay overnight for free at these locations is because there's a social contract you're gonna support through a purchase. And we reiterate that over and over again. Every month we email our members and remind them, make a purchase to show your gratitude. Um, and so for the most part, I mean, most of our hosts have been with us for many years because they love the program and, and, and the spirit of the program really works. Um, we also have a member uh, feedback mechanism. So hosts can leave feedback on members who visit and we take it very seriously. And so when someone visits, you can say, look, they didn't support us at all. They came in, they didn't visit, they left. Um, we actually reach out to members. We'll give them a warning for not you know, supporting or interacting with the hosts. And if they're, if they're habitual abusers, we'll kick them out of the program. So we take that very seriously. And then for um, mitigating the risk uh, uh, you know, through insurance, we, our members, when they join, they um, have to acknowledge that they will hold harmless any hosts from anything that happens on their property. Um, that's one. Two, they have to have their own insurance. So any member who visits you, they are insured on their own. So they have liability for their rig um, and, and their own insurance. And they're saying they're, they're going to hold you harmless from anything that happens. Um, and the final piece is we only work with operating businesses. And so the operating business already has business insurance um, coverage. And so between the existing business insurance coverage that covers someone coming into your tasting room and, and all that, which is beyond, you know, out of our hands, beyond, with that, with the, the um, you know, the hold harmless language and with the fact that our members have insurance, we've never had a, a problem in, in over 10 years, which is great. Perfect. All right. Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, to make you wait, Jamie. I just wanted to cover that because I know we'll probably get some more comments in there, hopefully. So, uh, Jamie, take it away. Tell us who you are. Or what were you going to ask, Ben? I already sorry. did that, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'd love to hear, Jamie, how many, I, I'm, I know there's quite a few, but how many wineries, well, and I feel like you have distilleries in your area too. I hear there's some pretty epic gin and stuff over there I need to try. Um, but uh, how many wineries surround you? Well, I'd like, I'd like to step back because, uh, oh, sure. Joel, I think that's incredible. Um, this history is, I, I actually managed six ski resorts here in, in Western Canada before getting into the RV industry. And so I've been in tourism for 40 plus years in BC. And uh, when I got introduced into the RV industry, I, I was hired at this, at this beautiful little resort in South Okanagan. South Okanagan, British Columbia is a food chain for a good portion of the world, extreme. Uh, out of here and it, 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 it's absolutely mind-boggling so I started at this resort and because I've been in tourism my entire life the resort was never marketing and none of the actual South Okanagan was marketing where it was at so I I saw again from the ski industry I would see these wine tour buses go by the resort my first summer and I, I reached out to one of them I said what's exactly with the the, the wine industry in, in South Okanagan. And I, I learned to answer Kara's uh, question. Then at that time, 2014, there was 39 resorts within 30 minutes of the front door. Uh, now 2021, we have over 50, it's about 53. Huh. Um, but none of these tour operators would actually stop at the resort. And, and when I got a hold of one of the larger operators, uh, they said, well, we've never been asked. and, and why would we? And so I pulled up my software and I said, well, right now I have 680 adults on the property. I probably have more people uh, with, that would be interested in touring the wineries in the South Okanagan than any hotel in the South Okanagan. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, that was it. And then all of a sudden, that's where it started to happen. Um, interesting enough, again, I, I, I do a lot of research and I started to find out that a lot of European traffic was only two avenues to get from Vancouver to the Rockies, Banff and Jasper. So I found out that these tour operators or these rental, RV rental companies, um, most Europeans, what they do is they don't plan their trip. They, they literally land in Vancouver and they have one destination, that's the Rockies, and then back. And, and they meander and find their way as they do that. Well, the two avenues is the Coquihalla, which is the main artery through the province. But another one is 
Highway 97, which is comes up through the wine capital of Canada. So we reached out and we got our, our guides into all the rental operators in it, that, that landed and picked up uh, these customers or these guests would pick up their RVs. We, and within one year, we had a 400% increase in, in European traffic through the South Okanagan because Europeans like their wine. So, yeah, it's, it, it, and, it, and it's done nothing but grow. It's, it's, it, but I, I can't believe it because Gallagher's been here in the, in the agricultural sort of belt and the, the wine capital. Wine, I keep saying that because Queen Elizabeth actually had a proclamation in 2002 that, that named Oliver BC as the wine capital of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so Gallagher's been sitting here since the 40s and nobody linked outside of what uh, Gallagher and the area has to offer. So Gallagher actually started, when I started in 2014, they did about 8,000 occupied nights per year. Uh, this past year, we did 22,000 occupied nights. So we've grown 160% and we've, we've only, when I bring staff on and, and, and literally Parkbridge comes in and says, what exactly is going on at Gallagher? I, I can't really put a finger on what it was, but the reality is, I, because I've been in tourism in BC my entire life, a lot of resorts, specifically in the RV industry, don't market what's outside of of, of their little twenty-five acres of property, Absolutely. and that's been that's been my incentive ever since I got here, and and definitely the wineries is is. Is is mind boggling. I, I I do the I do the RV shows in Alberta at Calgary and Evan Park pre twenty twenty, and you know you're you're talking to thousands of people and, and you've got a gentleman there with his husband and a couple of children and and you're trying to sort of convey the the message that the Gallagher is a very special place to come, and and I know that the trump card that I can put in that lights up the eyes of 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 the spouse, and say that you've got 50 vineyards within 30 minutes of the front door bing there you go that's awesome <laughs> yeah um how many so do you are you doing like running daily tours from the park to local wineries like do you go to multiple wineries on that tour how does that kind of work for for they, we, we have uh any they cater and they customize their their tours from here because there's so many and and then they yeah. have they have so many a wines, but they also have such uh, an incredible diversified setting. So um, they, a lot of them do customize what their what their journeys are going to be, and then they they revisit and go the other direction instead of going north south, go south well, south north or east west or whatever the case may be. So it it really caters to to uh, the guests, and they're some of them are very personalized. Um, beautiful, beautiful little um, SUVs and then then they literally pack up into a 15 passenger van and, and try to hit them all or as, hit as many as they possibly can. The, the distillery that you're talking about, Kara, it, it, that's interesting too because I came from the ski industry and there's a patrol, patrol ski patroller that had been at Sunshine Village in the Rockies for 21 years and his mm -hmm. passion is always um, spirits. So when I came here in 2014, there was a building going up literally across the street. I could throw a stone on it. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, a, a gin distillery. And his his passion was to get out of the ski industry. I and mean, here we are, two ski bums in a completely different industry. But he's built a, a business over there and his gin is phenomenal. Like people just don't know it when they, I, I've drank gin a good portion of my life, and I wouldn't even peel paint with what I've drank past this, <laughs> this, guy, this guy produces across the street. So it's very interesting. We, we obviously, within our retail operation, we have uh, our Coke machines and everything else, but I found it very important to get tonic by the cases because people are coming across the street with 26ers in droves. So it's, yeah, no, well, you really have to, yeah, you just have to know where you are and market where or what the area that you're in so absolutely yeah i does the you know facilitating the logistics of setting up those tours and things does that fall on your shoulders or do you completely rely on 
the wineries and, and your partnerships to sort all of that stuff out from an operation it's, standpoint? It's the wine touring operation, which is really, we, we, we put a lot back to them. And right. again, going back to the RV shows, um, because I sit as the chair for the BCLCA and I, we were always a member of the BCLCA. So when, when we go to the RV shows, uh, a lot of the prize structures, um, they, they're trying to get out and, and, and get something sort of quite elaborate as, as their prizes for door prizes and otherwise. And so we, we team up with the, the wineries, with the wine tour company. And a lot of these wineries have some eating establishments that are absolutely mind boggling, like mind boggling. There's an East Indian uh, restaurant, I can say it because there's quite part, big partners with us, Kitsmith, where it's an East Indian cuisine and they pair all of their wines to to the cuisine. And I've sent thousands of people there and every single group that comes back says that's mind boggling. Like that's the best, I've eaten East Indian my entire life, but that's the best East Indian I've ever eaten. And then they pair it with the wines. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed their, their operation there. So back to your question, uh, yeah, we, 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 we just, because we just sort of uncorked the bottle, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the wineries, tour operators and the restaurants realize that the, the RV industry uh, has a tremendous amount of, of, of potential guests. So yeah. it's, it's, an easy, it's an easy- Do you do question. anything at the resort? Do you do anything at the resort as far as like wine tastings and different things like that? We've, it's interesting you ask that question because last year was going to be the unveiling of actually, we've got a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, private uh, lake here on the property, Gallagher Lake, and it's very unique. We're in the northern tip of the Sonora Desert, so um, this lake is, is, is uh, in an incredible setting. And we were just about to unveil private uh, having wineries coming onto the property and, and shoulder season doing wine tastings down at the beachfront. And we're going to combine it with actually a lobster roast. If nice. Nice. So I've, I've got a question here. I've got a question here I want to get to in a second. But before I do that, uh, I want to put Kara on the spot just for a second. Um, sure. Just we've talked to so many different campground owners across Canada. We've obviously talked to Jamie about the things that are in his area. We're going to explore some more of those. But what have you heard from just campgrounds around Canada? And then I'm going to ask the same question to Ben in a second. But just the, that they've been doing as far as incorporating both visiting your local wineries as well as tastings and different experiences with wine in general. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what's interesting about what folks like Jamie are doing is you're really changing or adding these experiences that you don't typically think of specifically with camping or RVing, right? Um, and so it just really elevates that um, experience, I think, across the board and not even specifically just uh, in regards to wineries and, and distilleries and those things, but I think campground owners are getting really, really creative um, about offering these experiences to their guests. Um, and I, I see instances very often where that need or desire or willingness to diversify that stuff and partner with uh, local businesses and unique partners it, uh, really translates to a ton of kind of unprecedented success. And obviously, I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, it's a snowball effect with your local community. And, and now suddenly everybody's business is kind of seeing a, a great uh, little boon, which, you know, I'm sure it sounds like Harvest Hosts is, is doing those same sorts of facilitating those same sorts of connections and experiences. Um, I think overall, our, the camping market is, I keep, we've been saying this for a year, it's changing our, the demographics are changing, people are seeking, you know, are, they're seeking their, they're performing these vacation activities, you know, from their RVs and things, it's things, things are changing. And the way the things people want are, are changing too. And I really love to see so many parks. Um, you know, Jamie's location is fortuitous, right? I mean, <laughs> there's not a ton of wine country in Canada. Um, Oliver's such a stunning spot. Um, there's so many incredible wineries to choose from. Like, you just, 
I mean, location is, is hugely valuable, but there are places, you know, there's a couple of properties in Saskatchewan, uh, Camp Wolf Willow, I was hoping would be able to join us today. They're doing some incredible fruit wines, similar to what Joel, Joel mentioned. Um, you know, there's some operators, it sounds like in Quebec and Ontario that are doing some similar stuff. So um, overall, I think it's just great to see this willingness from operators to find new and cool, unique stuff to uh, draw guests that maybe wouldn't seek them out otherwise. Yeah, I 100% agree. We got a comment and Ben, maybe you can chime in on this too, if you've heard of anything, Kara, myself too. Uh, but we've got a comment from uh, Jesse Moore in here. It says, uh, I'm currently writing an experience module that blends heritage training and traditional teas and medicines from our northern forest. Are there any examples where this has been successful? It's like tasting and experiencing the education uh, 100%. Cuts it off, but let me see if I can in case you're receiving. Go ahead, Jamie. Sorry. Uh, no, no worries. I, I just, it excites the hell out of me because I, I've been in tourism my entire life and, and I ran a, a North Shore ski resort, Mount Seymour. And I started there in 1990. And um, one of the things, because you've got 3 million people at the base of your mountain within 25 kilometers of the, of the resort. And yeah. you can tell it, with skiing and, and, and snowboarding, I mean, you just looked at anything that you can do in snow. And I remember that was one of our marketing captions was anything that you can do in snow. Now, if you look at the North Shore Mountains, Cypress and, and uh, Seymour specifically, one of the biggest, hugest programs there is now snowshoeing. In 1990, snowshoeing was something like, oh my God, you gotta go out there and you gotta trudge through the snow and da 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 da. But their market is 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 doing the seawall in, in, in Vancouver and now people are literally putting on snowshoes and they're jogging through the forest up Mount Seymour and they're paying to do so. Mm -hmm. About three years ago, when I was, again, I, I keep my my thumb on what's what's going on outside of Gallagher. Gallagher's stunning in it. So going back to Joel and, and talking about agritourism, we've got just a, on a plateau just above the resort, it's about 40 acres of U-Pick um, um, orchards. And I went up there and I was just like, oh my God, this is like, you can get anything there, anything, any berry you can imagine. And and to wander through these different blueberry patches and strawberry patches and you name it, it's there. And, it, and then it it, it, it it combines it with all the vegetables that you could possibly imagine. Recognizing that 40, 54% of our market is coming from that market of Mount Seymour, inner city sort of Vancouver, as I call it. Yeah. I started to say, did you know, like just above the hill, you can literally go up there and, and just wander around and in, in your whole duration there, pick your entire meal that's going to accompany your piece of salmon or your steak or whatever it be. So that was three years ago. Now I have families that literally come and spend an entire day up there because they're so blown away at, at, at seeing all of these things that they see in the supermarket mm -hmm. where they grow it. but. Now they're going and they're picking it and they're putting it into this basket. They're taking it and paying this ridiculous low cost, and then taking it back to Gallagher Lake and having a barbecue with their steak and fresh cut potatoes and da 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 da. Touching and feeling it, figuring out where it comes from. Yeah, it's it's a whole. It's amazing thing. and it's amazingly simple. It's simple. It's so real. Simple. It's been there forever. Mm -hmm. Joel, yeah. I feel like you could probably weigh in on this too, with all your experience seeing the different things that some of your properties offer, right? Do you have anything that maybe you've come across that maybe can uh, shed some light on this training and traditional teas, medicines, stuff like that, just unique experiences maybe at wineries too? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think what, what I've learned is that our members just love new experiences. And so um, every winery offers something different. Some offer um, grape stomping. So you can actually literally get your, your feet dirty jumping on grapes. Um, some allow you to go yeah. back in the back and you know and, and um, be a part of the production process. And so I feel like any of these things, trainings, um, different experiences, the more unique, the better. I mean, I, I think our members would sign up for this stuff in droves because it's just something cool and new to do and something to learn. Yeah, I think I think uh, campgrounds campers are telling us that they want those experiences. Um, I mean, look at glamping. I mean, that's all about the experience and that's just been skyrocketing here. So, um, I mean, anything you can do with 
you know, offering different experiences. I don't think it hurts um, anything. You know, obviously you got to have the, the time and the staff or the connections to make that stuff happen. But I think if you can offer those unique experiences, it's not going to hurt. So, Ben, what are some of the ones you've seen from the United States, just campgrounds in your research maybe over the last week? I know you were going to invite a couple on that they just couldn't make it, but specific to wineries, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Wild Cherry Resort in northern Michigan, they're really close to about 24 to 30 wineries. And, um, you know, I did some research on what they offered. I couldn't really find if they offered any, like, specific uh, connections with the wineries, like as far as some parks will offer, like, tours um, or they'll have wine tastings at the park. I was hoping to have them on um, and they could elaborate a little bit more about what those partnerships look like on their end. But I know um, like Riverwalk RV Park in North Carolina, which um, they're pretty close to about 28 wineries. They offer, um, they have a private company that comes in and will actually like take guests from the campground to the wineries and they have specific like winery tours that are set up. Um, so that's kind of a, a neat amenity that they offer. Um, uh, as far as that goes, I know other wine, uh, campgrounds will offer like wine tastings. Um, they'll offer like products from like local wineries and the camp stores, different things like that to kind of generate interest for the entire area. So you're trying to like draw people to the area in general. You know, it's great that they're staying at your campground, but you're also showing them different things that they could do while they're staying at your campground, which just attracts them to your campground even more. So. Right. So I think there's multiple benefits here, right? Like we've talked, we've heard Joel talk about the fact that when there's a new property in there for Harvest Host, that his members will come and that will in turn drive more business, both to obviously the local business that he's supporting, but also the campgrounds that are in the area too. It's kind of like a roll on effect. And yeah. so you've got also got this, like you were talking about, Ben, where it's a, you know, we're, again, we want them to come to our campground. We want them to come to the area. So that's one incentive to offer it. Uh, but it's also a marketing aspect too. So you're helping businesses, but you're also uh, giving people that convenience. And so it's not just connecting them with local wineries, which is one aspect of it. It's not just offering the wine tastings at your campground, but it's offering the convenience, the unique experiences, the things that are going to make your campground stand out that are going to cause maybe somebody to come to you versus the competition or mm -hmm. drive another 50 miles down the interstate versus stopping sooner for the night, right? Uh, so it's, it's everything. Yeah, uh, I think some of these connections... Sorry, my uh, video must have blanked out there for a minute. Um, I think these connections are really important, especially for like campgrounds that don't have, like, you know, you go to like a, the North Texas Jellystone. I mean, you aren't going to leave North Texas Jellystone more than likely because it has everything on site. Yep. You know, it's a big water park, you know, but you go to these smaller campgrounds that maybe don't offer as many amenities and, you know, having these connections and the ability to show people what's in the area is really going to help. Um, you stay busy throughout the year. So, One thing I, I just want to focus on before, and I know Joel touched on it before, but Joel, I just want you to, to highlight, talk to us a little bit more about how this spillover effect, because there's a lot of campground owners who are, I don't know that they're against Harvest Host, but they're a little bit leery of something new, right? Uh, that in some ways could possibly be viewed as a competitor and you don't have those regulations and permitting and things that are required from a campground perspective. So obviously there's benefits here in the spillover, but what have you seen and done in your research that causes you to believe that you guys can live side by side, that you can coexist? Because I believe you can, but tell us in your words. Yeah, it, um, it's interesting and it's a valid concern. So if I was a campground owner, I would also be leery of you know, this program that might be stealing business, right? And that, that, that's how it looks at first blush. The reality is um, when we have new locations in an area, so I'll use an example here in Colorado, um, we're on um, Highway 70, which runs like all the way across the country. And so every RVer at some point is traveling this highway, where they get off just depends on what they're trying to do. And mm -hmm. so in Palisade, Colorado, we now have a number of wineries uh, that are in the Harvest House program. And once we opened them, thousands and thousands of our members started getting off at this town, Palisade, to 
visit these wineries. And what they do ahead of time is either in front, go and stay at a campground to get water in the tanks, get the batteries charged, and then they go to the winery or they do it immediately after. And what we're finding is they tend to do it right where they're staying. And so um, anecdotally, I basically interviewed the, the campgrounds. There's, there's only a couple of them in Palisade and asked them like, how's business? And um, I mean, when, even when I was there, it was full of harvest toasters. And so they're seeing um, direct spillover from all this traffic from our members now getting off the highway and going to this town and staying at the campgrounds. And it's to the point where it's interesting in some, um, you know, every once in a while we'll have a, a municipality that will say, hey, like we might need to regulate this and not allow harvest hosts here, uh, which one is, is really bad for the small businesses. So the small businesses always help us kind of fight that. But I've actually started trying to recruit the campgrounds to help as well. Because what I say is, look, like if they don't allow Harvest Host to operate here, you're going to see a massive hit to your business. You know, it, it actually benefits you to push for us because this is going to bring a sizable amount of our viewers to this area. Um, and so it's been good. You know, and, and I think we really, I mean, I've never had any real issues with campgrounds because once we get to know each other and once they really see how it plays out, it's always positive for everybody involved. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we always we, get we had. Uh, we have somebody asking about. Oh. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. It's Wi-Fi world. I was just going to say. I think um, at you know at the CCRBC we kind of always talk about how any sort of activity that's getting folks camping and getting folks on the road in an RV um, is be benefiting all of us in the long run. Um, you know, it's such a lifestyle thing. I think uh, oftentimes a lot of people like once they experience an RV trip or two they're kind of hooked and and so you know we always really want to back and support each other even though you know sometimes there's perception that we're competitive competitors right yeah, um, it grows the whole pie I mean I really I love that it's so true it's it's not a zero-sum game the more uh, we can get people into the RV lifestyle and the more that they enjoy it and they stick around the better you just have to think of ways to work outside the box, right? And so, like, as you as you guys are both talking, I'm thinking in my head, like, why is there not a vetted program for campground owners to partner with Harvest Host to say that when we leave the Harvest Host, we go to this campground? This has been vetted, and we so notice there's or whatever. And then you, you know, you have your territory and your area that everybody from Harvest Host is like, if I need some place to recharge my batteries and fill the tank, this is where I'm going because Joel and his team has vetted it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's what I was just going to say. And, and Joel, I don't know if you have any any uh, part of your operation in the South Okanagan of, of of BC, because being the the president of the BCLCA, one of the things that we are, are literally concerned about is that we're losing inventory and inventory of of, of campsites uh, just here in the, in, in the Okanagan, central, north, south. Uh, we're losing two substantial resources to development right now because it's, uh, that's that's the push. Um, that you can put a condominium complex very easily onto a spot. So there's inventory loss is what I'm saying. And uh, because the vineyards, there's thousands and tens of thousands of acres here. I don't know if uh, if you're operating in the area or if that's something that South Oak, because it, we're full. We're we're literally full. This is the the first year that the Gallagher is sitting where we have no inventory from second third week in June until the first second week in September. Um, but there's still a market out there, obviously with COVID and, and the dramatic increase of of uh, the, the recreational vehicle sales. Um, so, well, and, and this actually you're you're describing a problem that is happening here in the United States. All the, everywhere. It, it's campgrounds are over. They're over capacity. There's no sites left. There's no sites left. And and if there's one thing that's going to kill the desired RV, it's you go out, you can't find a place to stay, and you say, forget this. Like I don't need this. So Absolutely. I think right now Harvest Hose is helping with that inventory issue. Um, you know who knows? I know there's a huge COVID bump, and and like when things get you know back to normal, I don't know. But but right now there's an inventory issue. And the more we can find places for people to stay, um, the better. Because, boy, is it frustrating when you try to go somewhere and you can't stay. I mean, that's just the worst. Absolutely. Especially when, you know, Jamie was mentioning specific to, you know, our European 
uh, guests who obviously, you know, we're not really hosting those guys right now, but we do have, I, you know, when I was a campground owner, those guys, uh, my park was fairly close to a international airport and several of the rental depots. So they often spent their first couple nights or last couple nights with us. Um, and yeah, those guys don't like to book in advance. They kind of want to drive and see where they end up and yeah. be pretty whimsical about it. It's um, experience. Yeah, and it and it does. I definitely heard regularly from a lot of them that it was frustrating to be, um, you know, forced to kind of sleep at a roadside rest stop or whatever because they couldn't get a site. So um, definitely, I think, like Jamie said, there's room here for everybody at the table. Yeah. I definitely want to continue this discussion. I just want to point out, uh, if you've got a comment on Facebook, we're live streaming to a couple different pages. Uh, we've got some people watching this live, a lot of people afterwards. But if you have a comment, we can see it here. Uh, and we'll put you on screen and ask these gentlemen, Kara, uh, Ben, too, if you guys have any questions for them. So just put that in the, uh, in the chat or the comments on the Facebook pages, and we can pull that in for you guys. And then later on, if you want to watch it too, we're now a podcast. Did I tell? Did I tell you, Ben? I told you this, right? Yeah, we're a podcast we're now. We're like so. on iTunes and Google and Spotify and all the kinds of places. So, like, our episode was up there last week. So, lots of legs for this stuff. But uh, we want to hear your comments. So, go ahead, Ben or Kara. Who's next? For, uh, I just, you know, I think it's you know a lot of campground owners have had a really busy year and it's been great for them i'm just kind of worried about a little bit of you know i do talk to some campground owners and they are a little bit lackluster about doing any of this kind of stuff because they are so busy and they're like well why do i need to worry about this when i'm when i'm full already um but you know i think now's a great time even if you're full just to develop these kinds of programs um so that when oh when go I ahead Kara. as a former operator i'll be frank when i say if you are not willing to do some cool, unique, different things once in a while, you are going to fall behind. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't have a nice way to put that. You're going to fall behind. The The folks that are offering those experience and, thing, and things are going to pull ahead of you. I think there's always going to be a space in the market for those campgrounds that are kind of, you know, less, less offering experiences and more, you know, that kind of old school, more rustic camping thing. And, and so I think there's room for campgrounds like that here too. Like we talk about room at, at the table for everybody. But um, I think in situations where you're in locations where you have direct competitors nearby or where you have access to these really great potential partners and amenities, you need to be getting uh, strategic about utilizing those as business strategies. Um, I, I don't, I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't. And I do want to say, I think things are great and rosy today right now, but I do have a fear that in a, whenever things kind of start opening back up and folks maybe start traveling in different ways again, we're going to have this, you know, it might not be a big drop, but we might have a little bit of a slow. And so, Maybe now is the time to establish your really great strategies and, you know, get tons of guests in the door who are going to have a great experience. And then there's that, all that word of mouth positive to your business and things for when those things transition down the road someday. Right, right now you've got an opportunity. Like it's sitting yeah. like all the attention is on the outdoor space because yeah. of COVID. Everybody wants to get outside. The numbers are up. RV sales are up. So uh, take that opportunity and market to those people. And, and make yeah. them have an experience that blows them out of the water, whether that's at wineries like we're talking about or anything else that we'll, that we'll delve into in future shows, right? But create those packages, create those your unique experiences, because that's what's going to make them say when things open back up, when we go back to normal, that I don't want to go back to the way things were because this is much better. Yeah, I you had know, such an incredible time. Or, I don't yeah, need go to go vacation right. that way. Yeah. If I could say again, coming from the ski industry, is that our biggest thing? Our biggest thing in the ski industry is that there's no way we found that ski hills could could operate with with four or five months worth of revenue when you've got seven months of operation expenses on, on the line. So we're always we're always pushing out, and we came from the the downhill skiing, snowboarding, skiing to uh, the downhill mountain biking. So all of a sudden now we're looking at, okay, well now we have lift access and we've, we've got an opportunity to break into two seasons. 
Yes. When I got into the RV industry, it, like you're, you're so Gallagher sits here with about 4,700 bites, give or take some change for July and August. And everybody's like, I, I want to come in. It's not hard to book from from mid July to mid August, and that's the first thing that packs up. So uh, again, starting here in 2014, I, I I saw the the opportunity is is breaking out of that July and August, and yes. so. That, and, and a lot of the Park Ridge senior management was like, okay, well, what are you going to do? And I got to get out of this in, in into the shoulder season. The beauty, again, back to the vineyards and the, and the wineries is the South Okanagan, I discovered through just, just networking that there is wine festivals that happen every single season. And then the BCLCA introduced about three years ago winter camping. So I'm like, okay, well, let's go after this shoulder. And what's shoulder? Well, let's break into May, June, and, 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 and in September, our wine festival of the year is in October, the first weekend in October, and you can shoot a cannon through Gallagher Lake. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's start to push this out. Park Bridge is very intensive on their uh, monitoring their numbers. So I just did my the report for Gallagher for 2020. And May is grown by 1100%. So that, that 4,700 nights has always been, and it's always going to be. I mean, you can't, if you don't, if you do, if you can't fill up 4,700 nights in July and August, then I don't, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So now we've pushed out and we're, we're, we're seeing three or 400% increases in March. Um, and it, it's, it's in the, it's in the double digits, 17, 18, 19, 20 degrees in March in the South Okanagan. Yeah. So, yeah, again, it's it's breaking out of that box and how can you go from 8,000 nights to 22,000 nights? And I, and I don't see that the sky continues still up there. So yeah. I don't, there's no reason we can't break over 30,000 in our sleep. Well, so, and that goes back to what Kara is saying, right? So Kara, like, why are you not doing this? You, I mean, you need to, if you want to continue to increase your revenue. So there's, there's two mindsets, right? This is the same thing with business owners in general, whether they're campground owners or not. Uh, either you're okay with the status quo and the growing of the two, 3% every year uh, by raising your prices a little bit, or you want to, like Jamie said, go from 30,000 to 40,000 to 50,000 nights. And, and it, it doesn't, one's not right. One's not wrong is what I'm trying to say. But if you want to take advantage of the market that you're being handed right now, then you have to take advantage of it. You have to be willing to put in the extra work to put in that convenience and those packages and those things. And you've just got a bigger opportunity now than you do in normal years. And so decide for yourself, for your own campground, if you are happy with two or three percent or you want to continue innovating and growing. And in our incentive really to, to, to do that is, again, tourism is my passion. Um, we just dropped our pants for, for our, our shoulder season rates. To, to, it was $39 across the board, full service cable, Wi-Fi in, blah, blah, blah. And Park Ridge came back and said in the first year, well, you, we increase our rates 2.4%. And I said, well, not my shoulder. I, I learned over history is that you've got to hold that, that, that something new for three years to be successful. So they said, mm -hmm. well, and I argued every May or every March that, that we got to stay. So we stayed $39 across the board, whatever site you're at, across the board for three solid years until we started to see the market tap in and go, hey, I can go there 39 bucks for everything in. And I mean, it, it's, we were just at the break even. That was sort of the strategy. We were break even. You were basically on our property and, and we were making no revenue. But when those numbers start to grow and you're doing 1,500, 2,000 new nights a year, then that's a direct impact to your operating expenses when you weren't bringing in a, a penny anyway. So. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What do you got, Ben? You got a list of questions. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I like to show I liked Joel's comment on the lack of sites um, he mentioned earlier. Um, you know, that's been a pretty hot topic in the campground community. I know uh, the National Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds said they have 50,000 new sites planning on coming in this year. Um, and, you know, but there does there is a feeling of a lack of campground sites, especially near really hot tourist areas. Um, and so I think places like Harvest Host and I know there's some other ones, um, Farm Stay USA, um, which is a little bit different of a model. Um, 
somewhat similar and like the hip camps and stuff are really going to help keep people's interest in the rv lifestyle because obviously staying in a walmart as we mentioned earlier isn't very exciting and i think some walmarts are even preventing you from staying there now so um or charging you to stay there i believe is what i was reading well, so, so um unique thing so it's going to be very interesting to see how everything develops the other unique thing is too is that this harvest host for example it spreads campers out right you were talking ben about the destinations being overpacked and overcrowded but if you can all of a sudden go support a small business that's two hours away from denver to colorado for example then that allows those sites to spread out denver's a lot less congested there's a lot less backup and then there's more traffic and more business being driven to the smaller cities so i think that that kind of helps alleviate in one way the, the site overcrowding problem at specific areas too Yes. No? Yeah, I mean it's been incredible. Oh, this sorry, COVID, okay. I'm just anxious. I'm sorry. <laughs> this COVID thing's just been incredible at pushing um, people to destinations that they wouldn't have normally have thought of. So it's been great um, just to hear from like campground owners that are, you know, in areas that maybe people wouldn't have traveled to before. Just being able to see the midweek and even the weekend traffic that they never expected. Um, it's been pretty incredible. And that's where some of these parks can really seize the opportunity and really highlight what they have going in their communities. Sure, you know, you may not be a Yellowstone or, or uh, you know, one of these really popular destinations, but you've still got things that people want to do, hopefully at least, um, in your immediate area, so. I think as much as we're seeing campground operators get creative about what they're operating or offering in terms of experiences and amenities and things. We're also seeing consumers getting creative about what they are seeking. They're wanting these different experiences and so many of their typical vacation options aren't available to them right now. So there there's this appetite to like find something new and different. Um, you know, even in the comments here, I'm seeing comments about edible plant tours, animal info, uh, yoga retreats, photography, you know, classes in campgrounds and things like that. I think all of those things are, you know, really unique ways to give guests cool experiences. I think we're in, in part of this agritourism series, we're planning to talk about specifically like the edible plants tours and the community garden stuff, the you pick garden stuff as well. Yeah. In this episode, right? Yeah. Now we yeah. are. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of neat things that people are doing with, <laughs> there's a lot of neat things that people are doing with farming and camping. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, some of these campgrounds have community gardens. I mean, uh, we talked with um, RVC. They have like a bee program that they do at their parks. Um, um, that a lot, they have beehives at their campgrounds that people can go look at and they also have like educational stuff. I know we've had, um, oh, that one that one KOA, um, Greg Emmert, which I believe he sold his campground, but um, we had him on last year. He was doing like the nature tours and mm -hmm. um, nature programming at his park. So there's a ton of really unique things people are doing in the agro-tourism area. Well, let's put Joel on the spot here. Joel, what's some cool <laughs> other things outside of wineries that we should talk about for agro-tourism that you've seen your host doing? Yeah, so so one thing, um, one of the questions we got we get sometimes is, uh, you know, I don't drink. Uh, is this program just for people who drink? And the answer is no. We intentionally have uh, at least fifty percent of our inventory is, um, you know, family friendly, alcohol free. And so so there's there's something for everybody. Um, the farms, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, you know, hundreds of hundreds of farms, and um, pulling up the number again here, four hundred and fifty seven farms, and and these range from produce stands to corn mazes um, uh, to, to al we have a lot of alpaca farms. That's actually an interesting category. Oh, yeah. like, we have tons, I had no idea. And alpaca farms are the coolest. And yeah. you actually get to like see these alpacas. Um, it's really great if you have kids, the kids love the alpacas. Love them. Love yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're really adorable animals. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I mean, I'll use the example of one of the alpaca farms in Kansas that I like, I love to visit, it's amazing. Um, is run by three nuns who are in their 80s. And each nun does something different. One of them um, creates soaps. So she actually makes uh, soap, it's amazing. Uh, one creates alpaca scarves and other um, 
clothing items from alpaca, you know, from, from the alpacas. And, and the third one does massages. And um, and I got a massage fr from her and she's wonderful. So if you're wow. interested, full, full, st full experience. You get to see the alpacas, you're on this lovely land in Kansas. Um, if that's not a unique experience, the exactly. definition yeah. of unique experience. <laughs> totally, I, I mean, totally. It's not on the ship, Ben. You know, when I was doing the research for this one, um, I ran into a campground that does llama, so they do llama farming, and um, they actually have the llamas like roam the campground. So that's cool. The llamas are like going in between your RVs, and you can pet the llamas, and they can do like llamas they have me out. <laughs> they have a day camp. They have a day camp where kids can come and um, hang out with the llamas. They have an adult camp too, so it's not just kids. If you want to go, and they do farming. Um, opportunities for our viewers, they can get involved in the farm, and I guess I mean, there's all kinds of unique opportunities, right? And why stop yeah. at alpacas? I mean, look at how popular Jurassic Park was. Wolves <laughs> and spiders, and let them roam around the campground, and people would just come and stay. Yeah, we we do have some animal sanctuaries, like rescue yeah. rescue locations, um, which are great. Um, lavender farms are really popular. I mean, yeah. that's a and, I actually haven't visited one of our lavender farms. We have a, they're all over, but in Washington state, I mean, just like some of the photos I've seen of- I was gonna say, in. Instagrammable. They're so Instagrammable. Totally, totally. Here's what I wanna do. Like, I just wanna put this out here. Joel, I don't know if we're gonna continue the series next week or we're gonna stagger it or whatever we're gonna do, uh, but will you join us for our other agritourism ones? Of course. Too? Yeah, always happy to talk about it. I, you know, the more we can, the more we can get the word out, especially to farms that, that are looking for additional traffic and business, the better. Um, because it's, it's easier for us to target wineries because they're very, it's a very addressable market. And we work with the wine tourism boards. Um, you know, typically wineries know about us, but farms are so disparate. Um, you know, we work with some agritourism agencies, but um, yeah, the more we get the word out that, hey, this program could be a really cool thing for you, the better. Yeah. Right. Now, and then the spillover with campgrounds too, right? And so that's the important thing from, from I mean, we're coming mostly from the campground side, right? Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. With our audience and things like that. And so I think it's the more you can join and give us unique ideas also sparks interest for campground owners who maybe I've got a harvest host nearby that's driving traffic, maybe I don't, but this is an idea that I can also then partner with a local business near, my, near me or create a mm -hmm. ticket or a tourism attraction or whatever. So or well, a well, Joel speaks about lavender, and, and we actually have a, a South Okanagan lavender farm, a friend of mine that operates it, and she creates all kinds of, of lavender products. And one of the things that came out, and it's it's mind-boggling, and we're, we're trying to get it out into the BCLCA, is lavender is, is, there's only three things that are attracted to lavenders. Lavender, and that's hummingbirds, butterflies, oh, I'm gonna miss the third. But it, it's an insect repellent. It's a natural oh. insect repellent. So she she's created the best bug spray there is on the planet, and it smells like lavender because mosquitoes can't stand hummingbirds, butterflies. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm going to be easy. I was going to guess bees. I know there we are. Bees, <laughs> hummingbirds, and butterflies. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, 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 so it, 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 it flies. It flies off the shelf. People from the inner city are just like, I can't believe this stuff. That's it's lavender and it, it, it's a beautiful lavender farm in, in the Cologne area. And who, would, who would know that the camping industry would thrive from a lavender uh, farm? So. That's it. People, yeah, there's a lot of things people just know. Like right behind this camera, I can't turn it around. I have a hydroponic garden that I'm growing lavender in to keep the pests out of my garden. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, no, so, so fabulous. I, uh, so, I appreciate I appreciate Jamie coming on so much. I cannot wait to go and visit. I plan to come that way this summer. So I'll stop in. You're not far away. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's one of my favorite places in the world. I love Oliver. I've been many, many places around the, the planet and uh, Oliver's so fabulous. So yeah. can't wait to come that way again this summer. Do, do you think we could like release moose around RVs in an RV park? Would they like, <laughs> would people like want to pet the moose? We've got mountain sheep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think releasing moose is a good
good strategy from an insurance standpoint, <laughs> well, I don't recommend it. No, we've had this show. We've had this show with insurance. Like they they basically said like anything can happen, right? Because we did the whole scenario with driving into the campground if you had COVID and there was the bear and like I don't remember what my scenario was. I wasn't on that episode. I feel like that isn't how it went. <laughs> You're misinterpreting the insurance advice. I'm, I'm not suggesting that the, the the campground operator can intentionally do it, but I don't think you're liable if the bear accidentally wanders into your property or something like that, is, is I think what we got out of it, right? So right. I feel like if, if a neighbor accidentally released a bunch of lions into your campground and that was an attack, then, I mean, it could... I'm just saying, Jurassic Park is successful, like, theoretically. Billions of people. You know people would come to sit next to a lion or a T-Rex or like whatever, right? Like it, I wouldn't, but people <laughs> would. <laughs> so. no. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, think I'm going to want an RV park with any carnivore animal no. or roaming or free. I don't think that's going to be have happening. You, have you been near a moose when it's angry? <laughs> yes. Oh, I was literally strong, strong by a moose. Yeah, so uh, like I'm more scared, I think, of a moose than I am of a bear. I'm pretty sure. Like, but that that brings that brings in a completely different subject. And and again, coming from the tourism industry, I worked at a uh, Lake Louise in in the Rockies, and one of the biggest things for the for Lake Louise is is their interpretive programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And we built three new. Uh, glamping cabins in 2015 and to do so I had to do an environmental assessment um, of the area and I found out that the corridor where Gallagher literally sits um, we have five blue and red listed species on the property and wow. as you see huge bluff beside us and the black spotted bat the wren the red neck wren um, that sort of thing and so we we just and and we're the northern tip of the Sonora Desert, so we do have rattlesnakes, and that blows people's minds. They're like, "Oh my God, I've got a picture of my first caught live rattlesnake uh, in the laundry room." And they're like, "Where's this rattlesnake at?" And I said, "Well, it's here in Gallagher." They're like, what? There's rattlesnake. We have scorpions and we have black widows, but the again noticing knowing that our market comes from the Vancouver area, so the inner city. A lot of these kids don't know what a red and blue listed means. Mm-hmm. So we've started interpretive programs of, of so ch- children will line up on the beach and watch as dusk hits and these bats will come off the, the bluff and feed on the lake. And they'll spend hours again sitting there just captivated mm-hmm. by the fact that these giant bats, there's which would they would never have seen. They've been doing that for history. Mm-hmm. But kids would never have known that. And now they and they sit in the daytime and watch the wrens come out of the bluff, and that's the red, that's the red wren. And it, it, it's it's an interpretive program, but it also introduces a whole new subject of the yeah. respect for the environment that we're in. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, not just kids, adults too. Like I would pay to see yeah. some of that. Exactly, stuff. exactly. It's cool. So cool. Yeah, love it. Every time, I'm just going to put this out there. Every time uh, Jamie says Gallagher, I think of the guy that smashes watermelons. So, but maybe there's I don't like, know who that is, buddy. You don't know who that is? Okay. No, what are you talking about? Uh, never mind. It's a comedian. So I'll have to send you the link some point. But. Please do, sir. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> but, uh, but um, I mean, it. I think this has been a great topic, so it's going to be really interesting to dive into some of the other agritourism areas. Very much yeah. so. I can't wait to go try some amazing gin. <laughs> I'll send you, you a bottle. you got to wait for the gin show. This is the wine show. <laughs> no, I can't wait. <laughs> Are we going to split up the alcohol beverages now into different shows? Yeah. So we have to do that. Just for beer, gin, <laughs> vodka. So. <laughs> No, I yeah, I'm very ready to try the gin. I keep getting told all about it. So I don't think I've honestly like I think maybe once in my life have I ever tried gin. Oh so. yeah, Brian. Oh, I yeah. you got to try this stuff. All right. Same. I'm not, I'm not a gin fan, so. They, again, you too, Ben. You have to but, try this. Uh, stuff. Well, 
you're you're suffering. You don't know what you're missing. I I'm not I'm a, suffering. Not okay. Guy, so. Oh, Ben's suffering or I'm suffering? I mean, I'm suffering if I had... Ben doesn't like gin. Oh well. Yeah, I don't know. Like, so I went through my phase, right, when I was younger where I drank all the hard liquor and then I stopped, but I was never really a big hard liquor person. So so I'll be the outlier here and say, I've always loved gin. <laughs> gin and I are good friends. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm saying I may like it, but I need to learn how to, like, what to mix it with and how to, you know, water it or not water it down and, like, you know, all those things. Like, I just never bothered to learn that because hard liquor was never my thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kara, this gin, you don't mix it with anything. It, yeah, it, it is absolutely mind boggling. Yeah. He, exactly. he imports his, his liquors from South Africa and his juniper berries from England or something like that. It's, it, you don't mix it with anything. And Brian and Ben, you would just be blown away. It's just, just good quality, high end stuff that is wow. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys, I, I'm late for my next meeting, but this has All been right. a lot of fun, and I appreciate you having me on. Thanks Thank you so much. much. Yeah, yeah, we got to wrap up anyways. Yeah, so, nice seeing you, Joel. See you guys. All right. Do you have anything Thank else? You guys. Uh, no, I don't think we have anything else. Uh, just thanks, everyone, for watching and for hearing us ramble on the last five minutes. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's how we discover new things and talk yeah. about and see what direction we're going. So. Yep, yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. go on a tangent. It's okay. Yeah. Yep. So, oh, gin is great in lavender, Collins. Yes. Leslie and I are kindred spirits. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for watching, and uh, thanks Jamie for coming on. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, Joel, Joel left us already, but it was great hearing from Joel at Harvest Toast, and mm -hmm. uh, it's always great seeing you, Kara and Brian. So. Yeah. Um, everyone have a good rest of your week. All right, yeah, take care. Happy